You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. to the talent showcase later on. I also want to thank Michael Ochoa especially uh, and all those who serve in mercy for the incredible job I heard that was done yesterday serving the homeless right there. Incredible job. 50 disciples came on out, made sandwiches, painted, uh, I, I think they painted a, a room or a building, something like that there, and uh, just really gave back to the community. Uh, and Michael has an incredible heart for the community, and uh, I, I just want to lift up all those who served during the Mercy Project right there. Thank you for your heart. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 32, remember those earlier days... After you received the light, when you endured in great conflict, full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And the church said, I mean, this is just an incredible, incredible, just incredible statement to the Hebrews right there. And he just says, don't throw away your confidence. He says, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. I don't know how you'd feel if someone took your iPhone or your iPad. Obviously, it's always about I paid. (laughs) But if someone took your possessions like that, you'd be tempted to be down. And yet, the Hebrew writer, whoever he was, just comes to him and says, remember, remember, The early days. And of course, if you're a remnant disciple, you remember the early days of our former fellowship. And of course, that song, Men Who Dreams, makes you remember the early days. But he encourages them, and it's for a particular reason for the Hebrews here. Now, I I, I know you remember last week's lesson. Right? You remember the title of it, right? Mmm, a little quiet right there. Hopefully you haven't dripped. Ah, the greatest love of all. We studied out what book? We looked at Hosea. Okay. All right, Yuri's pulling you guys out right there. Some of you in the back, you're a little quiet right there, but amen, you're still in the kingdom. I just want to make sure that you haven't drifted. And you say, why? Because that's the title of today's lesson. Don't drift. The danger in drifting. Don't do it. Do not drift. And yet I really believe the world is drifting. What is the definition of drifting? A drift is a slow or gradual movement or change from one place condition to another. A slow and gradual movement. So a drift is not this radical shift. 
It's a slow, gradual drifting that takes place. I believe the world is drifting. I believe fathers are drifting from the responsibility of being a father. I believe mothers are drifting from the responsibility of being a godly mother. And I believe because fathers are drifting, mothers are drifting, our children are drifting. Kids are drifting into pornography. They're drifting into all kinds of different things that sadly I think about it and I go, wow, I did not have it as tough as some of our young people have it today. Children are drifting. Churches are drifting. Drifting into things that sadly are are shameful to mention. And yet the term drifting or the concept drifting applied spiritually affects all ages. It doesn't matter how old, how young you are. Drifting affects everyone. And I really believe that if we are going to do radical things for God, we've got to make sure we ask ourselves if we are drifting. If we are drifting. And if we are drifting, we, we, we need to get back our draw. We need to be drawn back to God, drawn back to total commitment instead of drifting away. You know, I think about the term drifting and I'm always reminded of my first love at, dare we say, 12 years old. <laughs> Melissa Poe. She was my best friend's sister. So my best friend's sister, I kind of, I kind of fell in love with her a little bit right there. And of course, where I'm from, uh, Portland, Oregon, I was in Vancouver, a little city right on the other side of Portland. Uh, there's this place called Vancouver Lake, and everyone would go out there to swim. And of course, I had learned how to float on my back, and I was feeling great about my swimming techniques and how I could float. And of course, Melissa was out there with her girlfriends on the paddle boat and waving at me, so I decided to swim on out there. <laughs> Now, my friend Malala was from Hawaii. I mean, this guy was like a fish. He could just swim for days. And, you know, so Malala's swimming. He's going, he's going, he's going. And he just swims right on out there. Well, I felt good about it. And I was swimming and I got tired. So I thought I'd kick into float on your back mode. So I kicked in. And I started flo- you know, floating on my back. And I, and I was doing good. And I just, and I, and I stopped being tired. I got calm and I was just floating right there. I thought I'd catch my breath and then I'd swim out and catch up to him. Well, I didn't know that I started drifting completely. As I was, I, I was drifting. There was these currents and so I started drifting completely. But I, didn't, I thought I was just sitting still, but I was drifting. When I stopped to look back at the shore, people looked like little mini, miniature figures right there. And I, I got scared. So I was swimming really hard to try to get to the paddle boat, but I got tired again. And they were laughing at me, and, and I was swallowing water. I was dying out there. Finally, I got to the boat. I made it. I did not have enough energy even to get back. And I realized that I had drifted further than I would actually swam. It scared me. Yet when I think about the principle spiritually, you can drift further than you think. You can drift from your pure and sincere devotion. This is the problem that was going on with the Hebrews. They were drifting. When I think about this world, I think about just the fact that... Just this week, I read three articles that shocked me. Article number one. UK Church hosts a play portraying Jesus transgendered. Article number two. Christians are now the minorities in the UK, a top cleric says. And of course, he goes on to give these staggering statistics. He says, 
The average church attendance every Sunday has dropped from 764,700 to just 22,000 in 2014. We are drifting. Article number three. Homeschooling now surges in the UK 65% a high court rules simply because atheism must be taught in schools. You can look it up yourself. We are in trouble. We are drifting. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. The danger in drifting. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received this just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such great salvation? He says you can literally ignore your salvation. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and miraculous and miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The Hebrew writer, whoever he was, says, we've got we to be careful that we do not drift. Of course, the book of Hebrews has so many incredible, just incredible insights. And of course, i got to give you a few before we dig on into the meat of this scripture right here. First of all, the, the, the book of Hebrews is written in classical Greek. So if you go through it, it's, it's quite clever in how it talks and, and speaks, but it's written in classical Greek. But the, the, most of the Bible, and most people don't know that the New Testament was not written in classical Greek. It was written in Koine Greek. That's the language of the street. We would say Cockney Greek. And I think that's awesome that, that God deserved, he decided to write his Bible. Most of the New Testament is written in the language of the streets. But that's the God, yet Hebrews is a little bit more classical. Now, the other thing that's incredible about Hebrews is as you go through the book, it's always talking about how Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus brings the new covenant, which is better, and Jesus is better. And I hope you believe Jesus is better. Of course, it talks about just all the incredible different things that really makes him better. It says that Jesus is better because, not only what I share, but he gives a better revelation. There are better expectations. You see that Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9. There's a better priesthood. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 7. There's better hope. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 19. It's a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22. There are better promises. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. There are better sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. And there are literally just better things. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 40. The Hebrew writer just... Whoever he was, again, highlights that the Old Testament was a shadow. The New Testament brings you the real substance. The Old Testament was, dare we say, temporary. The New Testament is permanent. In the Old Testament, you had a mediator, and of course that was Moses. In the New Testament, New Testament your mediator is Christ. In the Old Testament, your high priest was Aaron. In the New Testament, your high priest is Jesus Christ. We don't worship any man, we worship Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
the Old Testament, the priests were the Levites. In the New Testament, every single disciple is a Levite right there. Every single disciple is a priest. In the Old Testament, it was imperfect. New Testament was perfect, or is perfect. In the Old Testament, it was only for the Jews. In the New Testament, it's for every single nation. And yet that made me ask another question. Why did he write only to the Hebrews? Why was it written to him? Because if the, if the Bible is for all nations, why one letter just for the Hebrews? Why just one letter? Well, you got to understand. Hebrews chapter 10, the first scripture I read. They, they, they were going through all kinds of things. Property being taken. Struggles. Persecution. And so, the Hebrews. They understood that being Hebrew, they had a back door. And yet when you got a back door... That usually indicates a little bit of drifting. You say, well, what was their back door? Their back door was that they could go back to the synagogue. Why could they go back to the synagogue? Going back to the synagogue was okay because the synagogue was what's called a religio licitor. That's the Latin. That means it's legal. So the synagogue was a registered charity. But Christianity was a religio illicitar. Illegal. Licitar, legal. Illicitar, illegal. So Christianity was illegal at this time. And so what was happening is the disciples were going through it. And so they were, the, the Hebrews were like, you know, let's just go back to the synagogue. Only one problem with the synagogue. Only one problem with going back. You had to pay a small price. You had to be willing to say, Jesus is not the Lord of my life. Then they'd bring you back on into the synagogue. You can live in safety. No trouble. No persecution. No struggle. And so... God inspires the Hebrew writer to write directly to the disciples who got a back door in their heart, who got a, another plan, who had a different kind of just, just, just other, just, I, I want to go back to what I knew before. And he writes to them. See, the Gentiles didn't, they could not go back. The Gentiles couldn't go back to the synagogue because they're Gentile. But the Hebrews... They could go back. And so that's the reason why the Hebrew writer writes directly to the Hebrews. Amen? Now, I don't know who the Hebrew writer was, but I do know a couple of things. One, he was he believed in athletics because there's all kinds of athletic terms in the book of Hebrews. And he must have been a sailor. I kind of think it may have been Paul. There, there's tons of nautical terminology in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it says, We have this hope as an anchor to our souls. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 35, it says, So don't throw away your confidence. The word throw away is the Greek word apabolo. A-P-O-B-A-L-L-O. It means to throw something overboard. So he says, don't throw your faith overboard. Don't, don't throw it away because you're going through. Of course, in Hebrews 11, it says, out of holy fear, Noah built the ark. And then, of course, in Hebrews chapter 2, the very verse that we're looking at, it says, for this reason, we must pay more close attention or careful attention. That's the, the Greek word, proshetu, which means to fasten to an anchor. Proshetu, P-R-O-S-E-C-H-O, to fasten to an anchor. Says you need to fasten to an anchor your salvation, the Word of God. Says your your soul needs to be anchored to the Word of God. 
Your soul is not anchored only to the people. It's not anchored to, to it's anchored to the word of God. And I know that's, that's your soul today. I know you're paying careful attention to anchoring your soul to the word of God. I know quiet times are, aren't, you're not driven to have quiet times. You're drawn to have quiet times. And yet that's what we talked about as staff. We said, you know, you can either be driven or you can be drawn. And yet Jesus wants to draw all men to himself. John chapter 12. And yet that's what we want to do. We do the talent showcase because we're trying to draw men to Jesus. And yet we have our quiet times because we're drawn to God. Not because we're driven, we have to do it. Let me tell you something. There there are times in my life where I've been driven. (laughs) I've been driven to pray because of my sin. Driven to read the Bible because I need some answers. Because I have not been living the Christian life. And yet I need to make sure that my soul is anchored and that I am not drifting away. Important things you need to know about drifting. Drifting requires absolutely no effort. Absolutely no effort. You, you, you're not like trying to drift. I remember being out there, I was just cranking. I was just, just like this. And I was drifting. No effort. Very, very gradual. If you've ever been on a boat, and, and, and you've seen a boat, a boat can just, it's, it just gets dri- You're not trying, it's just very gradual. Number two, it's unconscious. You don't literally think, hey, I want to drift. You don't mentally go, yeah, I think I'd like to drift right now. No, no, you just, you just start drifting. Come on, Michael. And the powerful thing about that is that if you look at being, there we say in a boat or out on a, there are undercurrents. Can you see undercurrents? Absolutely not. But those undercurrents are powerful. And they, they, they will pull you out. They, they have things called a riptide. And it can rip you out miles at sea. And so spiritual drifting, you, you, there are undercurrents. We, we do not see the spiritual battle right now. We do not see the demons and, and, and that are fighting against our souls and the, the, and the angels that are protecting us. We don't see the spiritual battle right now. But there are undercurrents. Spiritual undercurrents that can yank you out, pull you away from God. You never drift upstream. You know, it's not, you don't like drift up. You, you, you usually go down. And usually when you go down, there's a waterfall. And that's like judgment, you know. You, you, you don't like drift up to God. You drift down. And I don't know if you've ever if you've ever drifted. Going down is much more faster than going up. When you go down, it gets going, baby, and it gets going very, very, very fast. When one starts drifting, there are no sirens that go off. There's no alarm that goes up. Nothing like that happens. No warnings until you come to church. And you hear the sirens. And you start asking yourself, am I drifting? Am I drifting? And lastly, most drifting ends in a shipwreck. You look at, there's so many, I I thought about, I had so many different stories about ships that crash. I go, let me just get right to it. If you're on a ship and it's drifting, it's going to crash. Because it goes to the tide. It goes with the tide and it goes towards the rocks. And you can literally shipwreck your faith by drifting. 
You can come to church and drift. You just come, you come, you love the, you, everything. You didn't get anything. You don't listen. Your mind drifts. You ever done that in prayer? Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you. I wonder how much it, Sainsbury's is going to be in there. What am I going to Is the game on tonight? I wonder if my wife is. And you're just drifting in prayer. I'm like, what is wrong with me? You're drifting. Your mind is over here. You're not, you don't consciously say in prayer, hey, I'd like, at this point in my prayer, I want to drift. Because of your lack of connection to God, you just start doing it. Because of your lack of depth, you just start doing it. Because your soul isn't anchored to the Word of God. And you know that when you go out to talk to God, you need to be focused and not double-minded. See, He won't listen to you when you're double-minded. Can you imagine? You know, you ever ever talk to someone and they got like five conversations going on? It's kind of challenging. That may be how you feel towards me, but have some mercy on me, please. I need a lot of help. It's challenging to talk to those people. They got ten conversations. That's how God feels when we're drifting. We got all these other things, and we're not focused in on Him. The danger in drifting. Point number one. A diminishing desire for God's Word. That, 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 that's, that's, that's when you know you're drifting. Now we got disciples that have a desire for God's word. We got disciples that love God's word. I, I, I love our brother Charles. He's going to be going to Nigeria. He's going to help out the mission team right there. He's fired up. Charles is always searching for the nugget. I mean, he's always listening and he's trying to coming up to me and after he goes, bro, I can't wait till we have ICCM. I can't wait. I want to be a part of the International College of Christian Ministries right there. And he's just got a desire to read his Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 4. If we have a diminishing desire for God's word, we can be sure we're drifting. Verse 1, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from... Checking if you're drifting right there. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, you can't live on bread alone. Of course, bread was that which sustains you. He says, you've got to be sustained by the Bible. And if you're not sustained, if your soul's not anchored to the Bible, what is it anchored to? If your soul's anchored to humanism, if your soul's anchored to anything that is not the word of God, there are three things that are eternal. God, the word of God, and the souls of men. Nothing else, nothing else will last. And that's the thing that always inspires me about the Bible, that it is living and it is active. And it will sustain you. It will sustain you. The Word of God can sustain you. Your marriage may not sustain you. The Word of God can sustain you. Dating and having an awesome dating relationship, it may not sustain you, and it really shouldn't. But the Word of God 
can sustain you. You may be in a, in a marriage situation where, where marriage is going, you're having some challenges. The Word of God can sustain you. You may have been raised and gone through some challenging principles and challenging things that are shameful to even mention out loud. You get into the Bible, the Word of God can sustain you. You may have not had a father in your life. You get into the Word of God and you see the Word of God says, a father to the fatherless. And then you go, wow, God is my father. And the Word of God sustains you. You get into the Word of God, you see abuse and you see all these things and you see that people's, their Weaknesses were turned to strength, as it says in Hebrews chapter 11. And the word of God, it begins to sustain you. You get into the word of God and you see people that failed over and over and over, but they failed forward. And the word of God sustains you if you've ever failed in life. The word of God can sustain you as a disciple. It's not just bread. The word sustains you. Do you have a desire for the word of God? Do you have a desire? You know, we gave the challenge to have those journals, and I'm sure you have those journals. And everyone's taking great notes and writing down what you're learning. You sure? Okay. Harry, are you with me there? You're not drifting, are you? Okay, amen. This has got to be huge. You know what happened in our former fellowship? We drifted. People heard lessons and sermons and teaching, and it was great. But they never combined the message with faith, as the Hebrew writer says. And so they really didn't believe in making disciples. They didn't really believe in dating only disciples. They didn't really believe in world evangelism. And when things got, when they got, when the movement started to drift, their souls were not anchored to the scriptures. And some of our brothers and sisters are out there right now, floating in the abyss of autonomy. And yet we, we want to build a church that says, brother, you can come and be with us. The ship is still floating, anchored to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 3. You know you're drifting when there's a diminishing desire to be with God's people. Don't you love God's people? We are characters, aren't we? Hebrews chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 12. It says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away, drifts away, from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He says when you don't get that encouragement from the disciples, you can get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It can harden you. He says encourage one another daily. Now, it doesn't say discourage one another daily. Because you already got the problem of, of sin and its deceitfulness. And then you got the discouragement that comes with it. Of course, encourage means to give the strength of God. Encourage one another daily. Do you encourage daily? Do you do you give your brother the strength of God? Do you give that sister the strength of God? Or do they see the phone and go, uh-oh, this may be the call of discouragement. I don't know if I want to pick that one up. And you put it on silent right there. See, you may not be getting someone picking up your calls because you call with the call of discouragement. 
and you discourage your brother daily. You don't give him the strength of God. Your problems aren't bigger than God. God should be bigger than every challenge you have in your life. How mighty is the God you serve? Is the God you serve a mighty God? I grew up singing that song. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, some of you know that song. But we've got to be that too. We just encourage one another daily. I want to challenge you this week. Instead of calling up your discipleship partner to discourage him. Overwhelm him. Lay all your burdens on him because he cares for you, even though he's not Jesus. I I want to challenge you to make sure that you have an encouraging time in your discipleship time. That you come and you share what you're learning from the scriptures. You share who you're talking to about the word of God. You share what, 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 what's awesome. You, you, you encourage your brother. Let me tell you something. Discipleship time will be an incredible time hanging on out when it's a, a time of encouragement right there. See, this is what I love about Anthony and Cassie. We get together. We, we, we have a little talk in the Lord right there. We talk about the marriage right there. Amen. You know how Anthony is right there. He sold out everything. He'll do anything, go anything, give up everything. That's just Anthony. And he, you know, you got Cassidy right there. She's kind Cassidy, but she's hard lung too. But they're joy. They just, they just encourage us. We, just, we get together. We got a couple of things and we're just like, okay, amen. Awesome. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Oh, see you tomorrow. It's just at a time of encouragement. It, it, am, am I being, it, that's what it is. What kind of discipleship times do you have? I mean, you got to make deep time has got to be encouraging, inspirational. And for those that are visiting, we have accountability partners in the church, meaning we have coaches, individuals that are in our lives to help us to get to heaven, that encourage us and build us on up and say, brother, I believe in you. Sister, I believe in you. We've got to make sure we don't drift away from wanting to be with God's people. And you know, when you're drifting, you don't want to be with God's people. You drift on in a little late to service. You drift on out. You're drifting. And you can get so far out there that you shipwreck your faith by diminishing desire to be with God's people. Listen to God's people. Be corrected by God's people. This is why I'm so fired up about Michael Williams today. Not me, Michael Williams. But Michael Williams is going to get restored today. See, Michael began drifting, getting further and further out there, getting further away from God's people, not wanting to hear from God's people, not wanting to talk to God's people. And the one that we all struggle with, not wanting to be corrected. And we all struggle with that one, do we not? And Michael just, he came up to me, he goes, last week he goes, you know, I, I just... I got man focused. I would hear the speeches and the challenges and I I just, I got focused on the individual. And I want to say, I'm sorry. I want to come back. I want to be with God's people. And today he's getting restored right there. Turn to Amos chapter eight. Let's bring it in for a close here. You know, you're drifting. When there is a diminishing desire to share. 
There's a diminishing desire to share. You just, just, you don't share. You just haven't talked to anybody. You're not sharing. You're drifting. Slowly away from God. Amos chapter 8. Check this one out. One of my favorite scriptures. He says this here. In verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord. When I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst or water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Those days are these days. There's a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Preachers aren't willing to call individuals to total commitment. Preachers won't do that. They won't do it. Because they know that, hey, they may not have this prosperity gospel-sized type of church. So they say pleasant things, nice things. The Lord loves you. You're going to heaven. All you got to do is say a prayer in your seat and you'll be saved. That's nowhere in the word of God. That's nowhere. Baptize them as a baby. That way they don't ever have to live a committed life their entire life. Give them some fire insurance. Baptize them as a little child. This is not meant to offend. This is, I share this in love. I say this in all sympathy for those who may have got drifted into those types of teachings. I myself am one. But I say this to call you to the true faith, the true word of God. There, there's a famine of hearing the word of God. There's a famine of preaching the word of God. When you, when you don't want to share your faith, it's because you don't have it. Get real deep today, real deep. So why am I not sharing my faith? You don't have any. Not there, there's, don't, don't worry. It's not the kids. It's not this. It's not that. You just don't have any faith. You've gotten religious. You're not righteous. You can read the Bible, actually. But then if you don't actually apply it, what's the scripture we read to those who are coming to Christ? You deceive yourself. Man, I'm having these quiet times. I'm reading. What's going on? No famine of work. Are you sharing your faith? Well, no. Right, you tricked yourself. You tricked yourself. That's a scary one. That's a very, very scary one. It's to just not share your faith. There, there's a famine. We, 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 this, this, we've got to get back to simple biblical. I want to ask you, are you sharing your faith? I'm talking about every single individual that calls himself a disciple. Are you sharing your faith? Faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word of God. You get faith from the Bible. And we've got to just be individuals that share it. That tell people about the word of God. Tell people what we have. So there's no famine in Europe. I want to challenge you. Set a faith goal. Your own personal faith goal. You come up with it. Talk to the individual in your life. Talk to your leader. Talk to your Bible talk leader about how many people you are going to share your faith with. Now, is a goal in the Bible? Well, the Bible says that Jesus said goals. He says, you go tell that fox, I'll reach my goal. Are there numbers in the Bible? Absolutely. There's a whole book on numbers. That's our criticism. You guys are all about the number of people getting baptized. And you know what I say to that? I go, 
you got me there. You sure got me. We are all about the salvation of the world. That's right. We're all about saving as many as possible. That's what we're all about. This evening, we're going to have this talent showcase and people are going to be singing. It's going to be awesome, but we got to share our faith. Not, not in a religious way that alienates people and they come right off the stage. Hi, how you doing? You want to come? You want to study the Bible? Not weird like that. You don't do that. You want to build a relationship with them, but you've got to have an agenda. I, I just lay it out. If you're visiting for the first time, we got an agenda. Yeah. We, we're not, we, we, we're not, we, we don't just play church. We have an agenda. We want to be really nice to you. We want to love you. We want to encourage you. We want to be, we want to take you for coffees and teas and yeah. do all this stuff. And you may say, man, this church is loving. And, and then you're going to, after you keep hanging around with us, you'll realize that that's who we are. It's not just something we do. And then all of a sudden that love will draw you in. Then you'll get joined and you, you'll get baptized. And you ask your friends to come and all of a sudden we'll have a huge church. There won't be a famine in Europe. We'll have an incredible church where everyone is preaching the word of God. We've got to increase our simple focus here, church. We've got to get back to sharing our faith. Just talking to every single thing that moves. Everything. Young girl, old girl, it, it doesn't matter. Just sharing our faith. we got house church coming up next weekend. We need to have many more visitors than this worship service here. We need to have many more visitors. I want to challenge you. If, if we are not sharing our faith, we, we got to have some hard talks right there. Because people's souls are on the line. I love you. Don't drift. Amazing message. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.